That brings us to part four, estimating. And estimating has three components to it. 6.9, which is explained approaches to producing estimates, including parametric, analogous, analytical, and Delphi. 6.10, which is explaining the reasons for and benefits of re-estimating throughout the project lifecycle. And 6.16, which is explaining the role of contingency planning in projects. So let's look at estimating first. An estimate is a quantified prediction, in other words, there's a number to it, a metrics, of the future, and as such is fundamentally an educated guess. So yes, it's an educated guess, um, but hopefully a well-educated guess that's informed by data. So the education part comes from past projects a lot of the time, or past project data. This can help take a lot of that guesswork out of the equation. So it's often good practice to have lessons learned or knowledge base that has data about previous projects. Those can be leveraged in order to estimate. We're going to look at some of the estimate techniques that are available in this section. One fundamental thing to note about estimating techniques, they can be used for both time and for cost. The same techniques use, can be used in both areas. So for estimating, Something that is just one of the laws that has been borne out over hundreds of years is that estimates become more accurate over time. So at the very, very beginning of the project, which is the riskiest moment for a project, right at the beginning, because there are so many unknowns. We often call this the cone of uncertainty. And this demonstrates that the estimates at the beginning are less accurate because less information is known about the project. Less information is known about the mm -hmm. options taken in order to fulfill the business case. In other words, less information is known about the scope of work that we're doing. You have less information available about how well your team works. Less information about risks. So estimates at the very beginning are have to be pretty quick and what I would call quick and dirty. And we'll go into the type of estimates that fall under that category. Fast, but not very accurate but necessary for the business case because a business case won't be signed off if there are no estimates. As the project moves progressively through the life cycle, more information becomes available. You start to see how well your team works, how quickly they can work. Risks become apparent. Risks might turn into issues and then you know exactly how much damage they've done monetarily to your project. Um, more information will come out about scope. And if you're doing an iterative life cycle, a lot of feedback will be coming out because you're doing a demo after every time box. And that will add into the scope. So more and more information about what it is that you're doing will become available. As such, the estimates will become more and more, avail uh, more, and more reliable and more and more accurate as you move your way through the project life cycle. So the benefits of estimating through a, a project life cycle is that it allows for this accuracy to come into the process. So you refine your estimates, you re-baseline. So maybe at the end of concept, you might have thought that the project would cost $1.2 million, just hypothetically. But at the end of definition, you've done a lot more work, put in a good degree of rigor, and you learn that the project, more accurately, would probably be more like $1.4 million. As you work your way through deployment, and risks turn into issues, and some risks don't, and some scope changes come into effect and change control happens, more and more information is becoming more available and you can continue to refine that estimate and make it more accurate. Uh, 
And the closer you are to the end, obviously, the more accurate it becomes. This helps manage stakeholder expectations so you're not surprising them. You don't say, well, at the beginning, we said the project was going to cost $1.2 million. That's what we signed off on the business case. Uh, now two years has gone by, and guess what? It actually cost $4 million. But, you know, these things happen. We didn't know a lot when we did the business case. You never want to surprise us, uh, stakeholders in that way. So continually, continually refine your estimates and continually communicate that back to your stakeholders themselves. It gives them early warning of when there might be issues. So if you're giving them status reports that show when you might be over on your budget, when you might be over on your schedule, you can start making incremental changes, start making some corrections, such as using resource moving in order to try to get things in line so that you can make that end date. Um, and it allows progressive approval. So if you're continually updating your estimates when you go through the go, no-go decision within Gates, you're giving the decision makers the most available, most current information so they could make informed choices about what to do next with the project. So estimates can be made using a number of different techniques that are based either on top-down or bottom-up. We'll look at four of them here. We're going to look at parametric, analogous, which is often called comparative, and that's considered a top-down estimating technique, analytical, which is a bottom-up estimating technique, and Delphi, which is also classified as bottom-up. So let's go into these and investigate and define these in some detail. So parametric is using data, and that data comes from past projects. So you'll need a knowledge base of some sort, some sort of database that shows you how much things cost, cost on previous projects, how long things took, how many resources were needed to get things done. You combine this data with an equation. So use some math involved with parametric. That math can be very simple. It can be as something as simple as we're in construction, we make roads. And over years and years and years of making roads, we have learned that it takes us a month to make a kilometer of highway. And they put that in the knowledge database that's available for anyone that wants to look at it. You get a new project and it says, make 10 um, kilometers of highway. That would mean 10 months. And that's as easy as parametric will ever get. You have the number, you have the amount of months, so you times the quantity by past data, and you get your new estimate, which in this case would be 10 months. But parametric estimating can get a lot more fancy than that. It can get a lot more in depth. You can use a lot of the data in order to plug them into complex modeling techniques, complex algorithms, in order to come up with um, specific estimates on cost and time. It isn't always just quantity uh, times cost. But it can be that simple. It often is when you're using parametric. The key thing with parametric that you need, the key input into it, is that you do need that data. You need some sort of knowledge database in order to derive the parametric estimates from. With analogous estimating or comparative estimating, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's comparing one thing to another in order to come up with an estimate. And in the world of project management, what that means is comparing a piece of work that happened before in the past to try to determine what that piece of work might cost or how long it will take for the new project. Or you could do a real top-down estimate and compare one previous project to a new project. 
So this is often done at the beginning of a project, say in the concept phase, in the early high-level business case, before a lot of data is available. It isn't accurate. That's the big drawback with analogous estimating. But it gives you a rough order of magnitude of how long something might take or how much something might cost. And the key to the definition is in the definition, analogous slash comparative, meaning you're comparing it or using an analogy from another project. One project might have cost $4 million last year. The new project is roughly the same size. We'll call it $1.5 million. That would be an example of doing an analogous estimate. The next type of estimate that we'll look at is analytical estimating. Analytical is extremely accurate. So that's the real strong suit of the analytical estimating technique. It will give you an accurate estimate. The downside is it does take a lot of time and effort to create one. So let's go through the steps of what it takes to make an analytical estimate. First thing you will need is a work breakdown structure. You will need to understand the scope of your project completely. And you'll be, need to be able to have work packages that represent the work that needs to be done in order to produce the project deliverables that are required by your stakeholders. The lowest level of a work package are the activities. Once you understand all of the activities that a project requires, you estimate the time and the cost that it will take to complete these activities. So the very, very lowest level of the WBS when you get all the way through the work packages are the activities. From there, you do finite estimates against each and every single one of them in a linear way. You then add those all up. That's where the bottom up part of the definition comes from. And this aggregation of all the estimates will give you an accurate interpretation of how much effort is needed on a project and how much the project is going to cost. The downside, as we said before, is this is going to take a lot of time, energy, and resources to come up with these estimates. As such, they're not very applicable at the beginning of the project. It wouldn't be appropriate because you don't know enough information in order to make the work packages and to break those work packages down into activities, which are the required ingredients for making a good analytical estimate. Delphi is a technique where you arrive at estimates using a group of experts. So you're asking experts when it comes to Delphi technique. The estimates themselves that are submitted by the experts are anonymous. So rank of the team members, strong personalities, those kind of factors are mitigated. They're taken out because of the anonymity of the actual estimates themselves. Once the estimates come in from the various subject matter experts anonymously using the Delphi technique, you get the group together and you discuss the estimates. You review them. People explain why they made the estimates that they did. What did they factor? How did they arrive at them? And this all leads to brainstorming and further discussion. After that, you then run the Delphi technique again, and you continue to do it until there is a consensus. So this process does take time. It does cost money because experts aren't cheap, and you do need a number of them to do this. But what it does is it takes out strong personalities it allows the whole process to be very de democratic. Everybody gets an equal say. We're going to look at the role of contingency planning in projects next. So contingency is the term used in the project management industry for reserves that a project management team has available should a risk become an issue. 
and affect the project costs and the schedule. The contingency amount is determined during the definition phase. So after all the risk analysis has occurred, the project team and the project sponsor and the project steering group all come together and negotiate a reasonable amount of money and time to set aside for contingency, which is available if a risk were to become an issue and the contingency needs to be brought to bear. Management reserve is normally for large adverse events that don't just affect the project, they can affect multiple projects. It's money that the management team has set aside for things like floods or downturns in market, emergency funds that will keep a project going should something large outside the remit of the project team, outside their ability to control. If something of that nature were to happen, the management reserve is kept in reserve and is available to keep projects going. Let's now look at the role of contingency planning and projects. So a good rule of thumb with contingency is that it should never be hidden in the project scope, but clearly identified as a line item on the budget so it's transparent and the key stakeholders can see it. It comes into two forms. We'll look at both of those forms now. Qualitative and quantitative. So qualitative methods rely on coming up with an amount of money or an amount of time or both should a risk become an issue. And when you're doing qualitative, you're looking at one risk at a time. So for example, if you have risk four on your risk register, and it has been identified that that is now an issue, you have a set amount of money that has been put aside for that risk, and you deal with that risk, and you try to minimize the damage that it could do to the project. Quantitative is looking at a number of risks acting together. So this is going to take modeling. This could take, uh, there's a tool called Monte Carlo that can do this, where we'll look at all the risks that have been identified, maybe there's 20 of them, and we'll say, what happens if risk two occurs, risk five occurs, risk seven occurs, and risk 19 occurs, but none of the other risks happen? And they'll run an algorithm to see what damage that would do to the project and what that would do to the schedule. Then they might run the algorithm again for what happens if risk one were to occur, and risk five occurs, and risk 15. So it looks at different scenarios where some risks don't become issues and some risks do. So this isn't something you can do with a pen and paper. This is normally something that has to have some modeling software involved. And using the different scenarios that are allowed for, some risks happening, some not, you arrive at a reasonable contingency reserve for your cost as well as for your schedule. 